And so let us hear God's word from Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. All right, may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. All right, well, as we... Transition now from our look at uh, 1 Samuel to Titus. You recall that uh, when I first came, we did a study in the Minor Prophets in the evening. But about halfway through or so, we decided that it was good to alternate. And so we started alternating with the epistles in the New Testament. And uh, so we looked at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, and 2nd Peter. You might recall 1st Peter I looked at in the morning. Um, then we looked at James and First and Second Thessalonians, and now we're looking at the pastoral epistles, as we call them, and so far we've looked at First Timothy, and now here to Titus. Now, after we finished the Minor Prophets, then, of course, we were looking at the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and here then First Samuel. Now, last week brought uh, us to the conclusion of our study of First Samuel, and uh, 73 sermons um, averaged 2.3 sermon per chapter. Um, so it was a total of a year and five months of sermons, but with the breaks and vacation and so forth, it was about a year and ten months worth. So we return here then to the pastoral epistles, as we call them. And um, <clears throat> Titus, we know, was written before Second Timothy, so hence <clears throat> doing Titus after First Timothy. All right, now, as I like to do with every new book, I want to give us some background. As I said a a moment ago, I want us to look at the forest, the big picture, because it helps us then to understand the particulars of of the verses. And um, uh, we are more or less doing that with every psalm, too, because every psalm, in a sense, is a new book. And uh, so I might spend somewhere between five and ten minutes doing that for a psalm here, uh, doing a whole sermon on it. Excuse me. Um, Now, hopefully you uh, picked up one of the outlines on the back because uh, I give you several outlines here and I'll make reference to those later and uh, and so on. So um, let's begin then with the question of who. Who wrote the book? Well, pretty straightforward here. Verse 1, it says, Paul the Apostle. And so God, by the Spirit, then enabled Paul to write these words. And for about 1,800 years or so, that was sufficient. Uh, But you might remember in uh, the introduction to 1 Timothy, I said a few words about how the liberal understanding uh, is that Uh, Somebody in the second century wrote 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. He called himself Paul, um, but it wasn't Paul the Apostle. Well, I'll say the same thing now as I said then. All the arguments, and I mean all the arguments that have been uh, presented to say this was not Paul the Apostle, they can easily, I would say, easily be explained away. And that the traditional view that Paul the Apostle wrote this actually is pretty straightforward when you look at all the arguments that have been levied against it. I'm not going to get into all those details, but um, um, I don't 
I don't think it's worth her time. Uh, but if you read some other things or hear some other things, you'll hear that somebody other than Paul wrote this. And no, actually, all those arguments fall apart when you press them. All right, so then, <clears throat> let's talk about when and where. And a number of points here. <clears throat> as for when, well, it was written about the same time as 1 Timothy. And some would even argue that Titus was written before 1 Timothy. Um, we can't say for sure, but what we can say is that Paul was released from prison in Rome. That was approximately 62 AD. And of course, the book of Acts ends with that. Um, he, we know he wanted to go to Spain, and then there is historical evidence that he actually did. But he also revisited the churches that he had been to before in Greece, Macedonia, and Asia Minor. So here's where, I, uh, if you look at a map here a moment, if you do have this one, the third missionary journey one uh, is probably the best one to look at. If you have another map in your Bible, you can look for one that shows Greece and Western Asia and, and Crete and so forth on it. Um, and so Paul then would have revisited places like Corinth, Berea, possibly Athens, Thessalonica, Philippi, Troas, Ephesus, and surely other places too. And so he would have um, possibly gone to them right after coming out of uh, prison in Rome and then went to Spain and then came back, or some say he went to Spain first and then came to these places. But at some point, uh, we believe that Paul did, and he came then to Crete. Now, <clears throat> you remember Paul had been to Crete before. Remember in Acts chapter 27, when he was uh, sailing from Jerusalem to Rome, remember it was getting late in, in the fall, and so he, they had to sail up along the Mediterranean coast. They came to Rhodes and made their way. They tried to go across to, to Greece, but the wind blew them down to Crete. And then remember they tried to make their way around Crete, and that's when the wind blew them out into the middle of the ocean, and after uh, a couple weeks they landed in Malta. Um, so he, Paul, was in Crete for, I don't know, a couple days or something like that, um, but obviously not enough to establish a church. Um, but he returns, and uh, we'll see that here more in, in just a moment. All right, now, as for Timothy, or sorry, as for Titus, I should say, um, it is quite possible that he was with Paul on all of his missionary journeys. Certainly he joined up with Paul early on, and it's quite possible he was with him the whole time, <clears throat> and, and so forth. So we'll, we'll flesh some of that out as we go along. But if you look at verse 4, obviously it's to Titus, and then in verse 5 it says, for this reason I left you in Crete. Okay. <clears throat> so, as for our when question then, um, many people will say this is probably 64, 65 AD. Um, you might remember 1 Timothy was probably written somewhere 63, 64 AD. But some try to argue Titus was written first and so forth. But it's in this time frame, somewhere 63 to 65 AD when they were written. <clears throat> now, Titus, of course, is very similar to Timothy as a person as well as the function that he had here. He had a very close relationship with Paul, just like Timothy did. <clears throat> now, Timothy, though, is mentioned in Acts. 
in fact, a number of times, as well as in a number of Paul's letters. Titus is not mentioned in Acts at all, which is somewhat surprising. So surprising that uh, people ask, why is he not mentioned there? Because he is so prominent in other places. Okay. Well, the one suggestion that I heard that I thought made some sense is that um, the, the one position out there is that Titus was related to Luke. And as Luke did not mention himself by name in Acts, then possibly that's why Titus is not mentioned by name in Acts. And so Luke did not want to show any kind of favoritism. Okay. <clears throat> we don't know. But uh, I think that's uh, maybe the best argument, at least that I've heard in that way. Now, as uh, for Timothy, so here now for Titus, he was an apostolic delegate. Okay. We're, we're used to this term pastoral epistles, but that term actually has only been used for about 200 years. Prior to that, they were not called the pastoral epistles because, strictly speaking, Timothy and Titus were not pastors. They were sent by Paul the Apostle to basically function as Paul would have done. And so this terminology of apostolic delegate is actually much more accurate. And so they're not apostles, but they're working in the place of Paul. They're not a regular pastor either. They're only there to help establish the church and to continue the church in Paul's absence. And so, again, we use this term pastoral epistle, but it's not really that fitting. Um, that said, it is very helpful for us in um, ministering in the church. It's helpful for us as leaders and so on. So it, it's helpful for pastors, but it doesn't mean that they were, in a strict sense, a pastor. All right. <clears throat> now, there's a, a number of things here. So let's now spend some time talking about Titus by looking at the places where he is mentioned uh, in the New Testament. He's mentioned 13 times, actually, uh, but again, none in Acts. The first one, or one of them, I should say, is here in verse 4. Um, nine times he is mentioned in 2 Corinthians, twice in Galatians, and then once in 2 Timothy. Okay, so let's look at these. Let's turn to the one in Galatians here, first of all. Galatians chapter 2. All right, now remember, Paul went on his first missionary journey. He comes back, he hears about the things in Galatia, and he writes the book of Galatians. After that is the Jerusalem Council. Okay, now there is the other view, the late view of Galatians, but I don't think it makes any sense, frankly. Um, and, uh, and so this is the one that's actually much more common in terms of what people believe, uh, that Paul wrote it shortly after his first missionary journey. So with all that in mind, listen to what he says. Verse 1 here of Galatians 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And he goes on and says more about that. 
Now, if we put this then chronologically into the story of Acts, right? Paul is converted, and now 14 years later, we see him going to Jerusalem. This is Paul's visit in Acts chapter 11. So we're not talking about the Jerusalem Council visit. We're talking about an earlier visit, Acts chapter 11. And Titus is already with Paul. So Timothy isn't even known by Paul at this point. And Paul uses Titus here as an example of a Gentile who came to faith but did not need to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. Now, um, obviously Titus is a Gentile. Remember, Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. And so Paul treated the situation of circumcision with Timothy differently because of that. All right. For Paul to mention Titus here, note the assumption that the Galatians knew who he was. If they did not know who Titus was, you'd think Paul would have said a little bit more here about taking him to the apostles in Jerusalem and all this issue about circumcision. The way he words it here assumes that they knew who he was. So, putting all this together then, Titus must have come to faith um, prior to chapter 11 in, uh, in Acts and went with Paul to Jerusalem and then went with Paul on his first missionary journey. And so Titus is there. Uh, during that time. Now remember, Timothy was likely converted on that first missionary journey. But Titus is already with Paul. Okay. So, is Titus from Antioch? Okay. We don't know. But uh, somewhere um, in that general area. All right, now, let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Okay, back here. Few pages, Second Corinthians chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter two. All right, now if you look at verses twelve and thirteen, it says this. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. All right, now remember, Paul on his third missionary journey came to Ephesus. On the second missionary journey, he planted the church in Corinth. But this is now in the context of his third missionary journey. Remember, he spent two and a half, three years in Ephesus. While he was there, he wrote 1 Corinthians. And while he was there, he visited Corinth and came back. And while he was there, he wrote the so-called harsh letter to the Corinthians. Okay. Well, Titus then took this harsh letter, we believe, to Corinth and gave it to them, read it, and so on and so forth. Well, Paul then left Ephesus and he came up to Troas and eventually up to Macedonia. And it's at that point he writes um, 2 Corinthians okay, and uh, even 1 Timothy in this general time frame. Well, to our point here with Titus, <clears throat> Paul has left Ephesus. He's come to Troas, and Titus isn't there, and, and Paul is concerned. 
because he sent Titus with this harsh letter and he hasn't heard anything. How did they respond? Okay, well, let's turn over to chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, <clears throat> we could read this whole section. I'm just going to read some of it. Um, so beginning in verse se- uh, 5 here, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, it says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Then he goes on to say, Hey, I know my harsh letter was, was harsh, and yeah, I know it made you feel bad, but I'm glad I sent it, because it did what it intended to do. So you see now we come to the next step in this chronology. Finally, Titus comes to Paul in Macedonia, maybe he's in Philippi, Thessalonica, wherever it is, okay, and he gets this word, and yes, the Corinthians received the letter, and they repented of their sins, and, uh, and so forth, and Titus is bringing that news. Now, let's jump down to verse 13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. And if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. All right, now as you read through those verses, it is possible to understand Paul's words to mean that they had not met Titus before. And so therefore, if that's true, Titus was not with Paul in the second missionary journey, at least in Corinth. Okay, remember, um, Paul left Timothy there in um, Thessalonica and Berea, remember he goes to Athens and so forth. So maybe Titus is part of that too, and maybe Titus was not there in Corinth at that time. I'm not sure you have to read the verses that way, but it does suggest that maybe they had not met Titus in person until he came with this harsh letter. The point is, do you see how prominent Titus is in Paul's can you say remote ministry to Corinth? Well, let's turn to chapter 8. <clears throat> Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you might recall that chapters 8 and 9 have uh, all to do with the collecting of the offering to, uh, from the Gentile churches to take to Jerusalem to help them during the famine. Okay, so remember, that's the whole context here. And uh, look then at verse 6. So we urged Titus, that is, he had begun, so we would also complete this grace in you as well. So basically, Paul is going to send Titus, and he's going to collect this money. And uh, you started collecting the money, and Titus is going to help you to get it all ready for when I come to, to take it to Jerusalem. Then if you look at verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Okay, so Titus cares for the Corinthians. Verse 23. Um, 
If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. Uh, again, um, some people take this to mean that Titus was not known to the Corinthians until all these things are happening with a harsh letter and now collecting the money. Again, I'm not sure you have to read the verses that way, but, but some do. All right, <clears throat> so Paul simply is supporting Titus in his role here in collecting the money from the Corinthians. All right, now, um, <coughs> excuse me, beginning in chapter 10 here in 2 Corinthians, um, everything changes. Up to this point, it's, it's very positive, very encouraging. Paul is very glad and, you know, if you will, loving and so forth to the Corinthians, and then something happens. And so it's possible that word came from Corinth that things turn, took a bad turn. Other people argue that, that chapters 10 and following are the harsh letter. Okay. But uh, things change and, and so on. So if you turn to chapter 12, chapter 12, note then his words in verse 18. Okay. <clears throat> I urged Titus... And sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? So Paul's defending himself. He's also defending Titus here. And whoever this brother is, right? So it's a much more, um, if you will, challenging tone here in this verse. All right. Well, <clears throat> there are hundreds of questions we wish we could have answered here but we do get a clue from these passages about Titus and one of the key things that we see is that Titus was a very significant part of Paul's ministry not just Timothy but Titus a key figure in Paul's interactions especially with the Corinthians at least to this point all right, now let's come to Titus chapter 3 and call your attention here to the end of the book. A few thoughts here. In Titus 3, verse 12, it says, When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now, if you recall, in our reading of Ephesians 6 this morning, Tychicus was mentioned. Here he is again. So either Tychicus or Artemis is going to come and replace Titus on Crete. And Titus then is to come to Nicopolis. So if you still have your maps in front of you, find Corinth and go west toward the coast. Okay, the, the western coast of Greece, it's in that general area. Uh, your map may or may not have it on there, this one doesn't. Um, Alright, so again, Titus is an apostolic delegate. Paul is basically saying, okay, your time is going to come to an end here, and I'm going to replace you with somebody else, and you're supposed to come to me. So was he there for a few months? Was he there for a year? We don't know. Okay, we don't know. All right, one last place then. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. So back just a couple pages here. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, and uh, beginning in verse 9. 
Okay. Now, this is the final letter of Paul. Paul is about to die. He writes this to Timothy, and he says, verse 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Okay. So, we see then that uh, Paul's back in prison. He's about to die at the hands of Nero. And he's basically alone. So Timothy, come see me. Now, he's alone because um, Demas has left the faith. But these other two men have gone elsewhere to minister. And one of them, of course, is Titus. Now, Dalmatia, um, maybe you think of the old Yugoslavia, which now is a variety of places. Uh, but that's the general area of Dalmatia, where Titus would have gone. <clears throat> All right, now. Uh, one last thing here in this, this way, Eusebius, uh, the early church historian, uh, he said that Titus eventually returned to Crete, and he ministered there for a time, and even died there at a good old age. So if Eusebius is correct then, that is one additional inf bit of information we have here for Titus. All right, so a little bit about the life of Titus. Again, lots of questions we don't know the answer to, but we at least get some indication here. Very significant man in Paul's ministry, and uh, we have every reason to believe that he was older than Timothy. All right, now, <clears throat> as we come back uh, to Titus, and uh, he tells us then in chapter 1, verse 5, okay, I'm leaving you here to do these things. All right, let's go then to the end of the, of the book, chapter 3 again. And in verse 14, he says, Let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All right, this is kind of a, a closing statement. And, uh, and Paul is basically giving instructions to the, the Cretan believers through Titus to more or less live a godly life. Okay? And so Titus has been sent there to, to do these things. Okay? Now, let's then read verse 15. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now, two key thoughts here. Notice Paul obviously was somewhere when he wrote this. Where was he? Was he in Nicopolis? Tells Titus to come there. Are they going to meet in Nicopolis? Was he in Macedonia somewhere or Corinth? You know, so there's various views. Uh, but obviously he was somewhere else. And then notice also how it ends. Grace be with you all. So the letter of Titus is a personal letter. But it's also a more official letter. Written for the whole church. Not just to encourage Titus, but to encourage the believers on Crete in general. Okay. And so very much like 1 Timothy in that way. All right. Now let me say a few words about Crete. It is the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, it is probably most well known in antiquity for its Zeus legends. So think of the Greek gods and goddesses and so forth. In fact, they made the case that 
the true Mount Olympus was in Crete, not in Greece. And they have all these legends about Zeus and how he lived there and did these things. In fact, they say he was buried there and and so on and so forth. So uh, all kinds of things in that way. But they were also known for being gluttonous, for being decadent. In fact, um, there is indication that they were often hired as mercenaries. And some of them basically were pirates of the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe you can make a movie of them too. But uh, we see in chapter 1, verse 12, that Paul uh, says these things. Okay? One of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So Paul's not just being mean. This is what they were like. Now add to that then a mixture of this Greek religion stuff also with elements of early Gnosticism and elements of Jewish mysticism. And that was the uh, false teaching that was prevalent in, in Crete. Okay. So elements of Gnosticism, elements of Greek um, uh, God and goddess thought, elements of Jewish thought, especially some of the, the wrong views of Judaism. And then... Here comes the gospel, and Paul brings it, and things are good. He leaves, and we think he left with Titus not being left behind yet, and that started to mix. So the truth of Christianity with all this false teaching started mixing together. In fact, there's also elements of the new Roman woman. Remember, we talked about that in 1 Timothy, and so... um, Kind of like our society. You know, there's all kinds of crazy ideas out there. And here comes the truth. So Paul very likely came to Crete, established a church, left. The false teaching and lies were spreading. Paul returns. And it's at that point he leaves Titus to continue to teach the truth, to establish and train elders and leaders, and then to oppose uh, this false teaching. Again, there are uh, questions for us, things we can't fully understand and and pin down and such, but this is likely uh, what happened. Then, when Titus was going to leave, and Tychicus or whoever replaces him, uh, then he would continue that. But also, these new elders were supposed to maintain the truth. All right. Well, that's kind of the historical background and our understanding of of these things. Let me now end with uh, a couple uh, summary thoughts in this way. And the first one, I'd like to read from uh, Lawrence Richards. It's his Bible background commentary. And uh, he summarizes some of the themes that we will see here in this short letter. And he gives all kinds of uh, references where to find it, but I'm not going to read those, just uh, the, the categories. So he says this. The summary of the theological topics touched on in Titus are these. The personality of God, God's love and grace, his title as Savior, the Holy Spirit, his triune being, the deity of Christ, the vicarious atonement of Christ, the universal offer of salvation, Salvation by grace, not works. Uh, The incoming of the Holy Spirit. 
justification by faith, sanctification by God of his people, separation from evil, inheritance of eternal life, and the return of Christ. Now, there's some overlap there, but he's giving you a bunch of these references with these themes. So we're going to see a lot about God and the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit here. Then he says this, a similar list of characteristics are seen of the Christian lifestyle. Godliness, faith, qualities for leaders and the ministry of leaders, temperance, love, self-control, endurance, dedication to doing good, personal integrity, seriousness, subjection to authority, trustworthiness, rejection of sin, humility, considerateness, peaceableness, and harmony. Now, the key word there is actually godliness, um, and all these other ones are basically parts of that. So we're going to see those themes too. So not just we're going to learn a lot about God as the Trinity, uh, but also about how we should live as God's people. And then he says this, the most striking element perhaps in this short letter is its emphasis on teaching, not as mere communication of information about God, but as instruction intended to produce a lifestyle that is in harmony with revealed truth. This theme Developed in Titus 2 especially, is one of the most significant passages in the New Testament for developing a biblical philosophy of ministry, whether pulpit ministry, classroom ministry, or a non-formal ministry within the Christian community and the home. So, at least in my experience, and maybe this is true for you, um, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy have been, you know, kind of the big ones, and Titus is kind of overlooked. Um, but there's a lot here, and a lot for us to learn, and, and so forth, uh, here in the weeks to come. One of the key words that we're going to see here is the idea of sound doctrine, and uh, so we'll, we'll uh, uh, explain that. You might remember we saw it in 1 Timothy 2, so we'll see, see these things. All right, now, uh, the next thing I want you to do is to look at your uh, outlines and uh, look at the outlines on this outline. Um, I've started doing this, of course, in the Psalms, and uh, I've, I, I've found that to be very helpful. I'm not just saying it, and you're like, yeah, well, what verse was that, and so on, so now you can see it. And I encourage you to take this home and look at it. Read through the letter and look at these subdivisions. Again, this, the, the purpose tonight is to give you the big picture and next time, we'll start on the individual verses. And so if you maybe keep this particular one in your Bible, and you can, uh, I'll make reference to it, and certainly you can look at it on your own. So let me just briefly review this. You'll see the first one is from John Stott, and uh, you'll see the introduction. And then he uses doctrine and duty uh, for his, his uh, key way of describing it. So in the church, the rest of chapter 1, in the home, chapter 2, in the world, uh, chapter 3, except for those last few verses. All right, now the Reformation Study Bible does the same thing, but notice, describes it differently. The NIV Study Bible subdivides uh, chapter 1, there are verses 5 to 9, and then verses 10 to 16. It also subdivides chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, and then verses 9 to 11. Okay. And then the last one, uh, A.M. Stibbs, 
Uh, notice verses 1 to 4. Everybody does the same there. Verses uh, 12 to 15 in chapter 3. Everybody does the same there. Um, you'll see here also he subdivides chapter 1. But then notice how he does chapter 2. In, cha- in verse 11, he then combines it all the way to chapter 3, verse 11, and calls it duty to good works. So, again, uh, it's not that one is right and one is wrong, but as we look at this, there are different ways of looking at it, and it, it helps us in our understanding of how the whole thing is put together. Because, again, this is God's Word, and it isn't just one verse at a time, like my normal approach, but it's all together. And so uh, that's why I give you these overviews in this way to help you to see the whole point. Um, and not miss it as we look at the individual things. All right, now let me end here tonight with um, John Stott. And you might recall I I used his commentary for 1 Timothy, and here's a summary uh, of it from him. He says this, It does not require much imagination to sit down beside Titus and to read Paul's letter as if it were addressed to us. For the apostle's instructions to his trusted lieutenant have extraordinary contemporary relevance. We, too, need to hear Paul's exhortations about the careful selection and appointment of elders in the church, about the damaging effects of false teaching, about the importance of helping different groups to relate duty to doctrine in the home, about the transforming power of the two appearings of Christ, about the civic and social responsibilities of the people of God, and about the implications for practical good works of God's salvation. Here are at least three major themes. Again, you might want to look at your outline here. (laughs) Um, Namely, Christian elders in contrast to false teachers, chapter 1. Christian homes, our duties to each other being enforced by the confidence of the first and second comings of Christ, chapter 2. And then chapter 3, Christian relationships in public life, which are the direct fruits of of our salvation. So, again, just trying to give you um, this this broad understanding of the book uh, as we begin here today. And so, uh, it'll be two weeks now because of our plans for next week with the Thanksgiving meal and so forth. Um, but we will start on verses one to four next time, looking at the particulars of Paul's introduction uh, here in this letter. So, a few thoughts in this way tonight. Let's pray together as we conclude. Lord, we thank you for your word, and uh, here especially the book of Titus, and the man Titus, and the things that we learned about him, and his relationship to Paul, and uh, even to the Corinthians, and so forth. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for, uh, for this man and his ministry, and how you used him, and uh, we pray then that uh, we would learn much uh, from this instruction of Paul to Titus and uh, that we too would um, uh, glean from it, not just someone like myself or not just the ruling elders here, but all of us as God's people, and that we would learn uh, about godly living and about you and your work of salvation through Christ and your spirit. And so, Lord, we um, uh, just uh, pray for uh, the, the months ahead as we look at this letter, uh, that we would grow in our knowledge and understanding and, and thus our, our godliness and, and our living for you. And so we pray these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.